Hey, uh, glad you're here today with us. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and uh, we have been going for quite a while in a series on James, and it has been good. It's been challenging, but it's been good. And I've heard so many great stories from you on how this has affected you, how it's changed the way that you look at yourself and the way that you look at the world, and, you know, that's the whole point. And uh, this has been, for me, one of my favorite series we've ever done as a church, partly because of the content, but also partly because of the way that we've done it. And uh, although we've done this before. We've been doing the teaching on Sunday morning, and then in your groups during the week, you've been doing the application. So we have the study guide that's written based on the sermon, and it's going through questions on how do we understand this? How do we actually apply it? And that's where the rubber is really meeting the road. So thank you for so many of you that are in groups and are taking this kind of whole thing together. Uh, It's been really, really cool. So hearing those stories. Um, I do have to tell you, though, it, it very much disrupts my house on Tuesday night. Um, like, no offense to the ladies group, but there's a bunch of you. And uh, you show up at the house, and I have to avoid you the entire time. Um, and I got to go get Josie. And then I have to creatively, I have to get out of the garage, like get my truck and put it out by the road because I have to go pick up my daughter from practice here at the Norville for the Frozen show that's coming up. And so I got to go, yeah, a little plug for that. And um, anyway, she's a little Elsa. Anyway, she, uh, she uh, has practice. I have to pick her up in the middle of women's group. So I have to, like, get creative. So I've been driving, like, through the yard and weaving through cars to get back into the driveway. So it's really cramped my style. But... Uh, I'm more than happy to do it, okay, because <laughs> I'm glad that y'all are getting together, and the conversations you're having are incredible, and I know that's happening all over the place, and so uh, the groups are going really, really great, and we're gonna we're looking forward to keeping those uh, going, and particularly starting on maybe another series similar to this at the beginning of next year, and so very excited. Good things are happening. It has been 11 weeks now that we've been in the book of James, and we have learned a ton and been challenged a bunch, Um, and uh, James, we've seen, has a big theme that runs all throughout it, although he's got different aspects of that that he talks about, but it's really been eye-opening for us, and so I'm glad that you have joined us in that. Today, we're actually going to get to the last scripture we're going to cover in James, and it's very important the way that he finishes this letter that he's written to Christians, Jewish Christians that are spread out all over the place. They're sort of dispersed, and he talks about them essentially being planted in the places they are, and they need to grow up into maturity in order to be effective in those places. And so, Uh, We're going to finish up with the text today, but this isn't the end of the series. Next week, we're going to have one more week. We're going to kind of cap it and close it, um, the series, kind of a closing to the whole thing. And uh, in the meantime, between now and next week, if any of you have a particular way or a story or a testimony of how your life has changed during this series, we would love to hear that. You can send that to me or to Jess or to Jeremy, who's playing keys over here. Um, And we would love to hear it so that we might talk about some of that next week, what God has done in people's lives through this scripture. Really talk about the application that's happened. So that's going to be really good. But today we're going to finish up with our passage. And the the, the text that we're going to talk about today is one that is a little tricky for sure. And we'll try and bring some clarity to it today. Um, So what I want to do, we're just going to start off and read all the way through the rest, the end of the book here, the end of the letter. And then we'll, as we've done before, we'll come back through and we'll take it a piece at a time, uh, bite-sized pieces and talk about what it all means, all right? So we're just going to read it for now, uh, James chapter 5, and we're going verses 13 through 20. Here we go. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith 
will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, like I said, there's a lot going on here that we need to talk about and what it means and what James meant when he wrote it. And so we're going to take it a little bit at a time. We'll start with verse 13. All right, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now, this piece is simple enough, okay? <laughs> this is pretty straightforward, nothing too tricky here. The way we read it in English is the way that it seems to have been intended by James when he wrote it in Greek. Uh, he said, if things are bad, pray. If things are good, praise. All right? If things are bad, pray. If things are good, praise. It's not too complicated. When he says, uh, when he says is any of you suffering, this is a word they often use to people who are in military service. So the word suffering here means to be under sort of constant oppression. You feel like there, there's a weight on your shoulder. You feel like you're constantly being attacked. All right, are you suffering in that way? Then you need to pray. You're enduring hardship, pray. Take that to God. Now, I don't think that one is particularly hard. It's like our nature to do that when things aren't going well in our life is the first thing is to ask God to intervene, all right? to ask God to help get us through it. Very normal, very natural, very easy. I think the second one is actually a little harder. He said, when things are good, you're not suffering, but you're satisfied, right? When, you, when things are good, praise. When you're in good spirits, when you're of good care, courage, thank God for it. And we tend, this, I think this one's a little harder just to remember to do because we uh, tend to give ourselves credit for our successes right? and then ask God to help us with our failures. That's the way that we roll. But when he uses the word Psalms here, he's not specifically talking about the book of Psalms like we have it in Scripture. He's talking about spiritual songs, songs of praise. In fact, when they said this word Psalms, it would typically mean songs that were sung together in a group environment with accompaniment. So basically, like things are going good, make sure you're in church worshiping with your, with your church. Make sure that you're, you're thanking God and giving him the credit and honor that he is due. When things are good in your life, we have a tendency to gather together when things are bad because we feel like this is where we need to be. And we have a tendency to forget about God when things are good because we don't think that we need him anymore because we got it under control. But we need to make it a practice to pray and to praise no matter what's going on in our life, whether it's good or bad. All right. Now that's all simple enough. That's straightforward. Don't need to spend too much more time there. The next part is the tricky part. All right? The next part is the part that people get hung up on. All right. Let's keep going. The middle of verse 16. Is anyone among you sick? Or this is verse 14, sorry. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, there's a lot to talk about here because we read this in English. We don't read this in Greek. 
Unless anyone here is fluent in Greek, you generally are going to read this in English. So when you read things in English, in an English Bible, there's a translator, a group of translators that always have to make choices when they translate because Greek is not a one-to-one language with English. So it's not like there's the Greek word and here's the English word and it's always perfect all the time. Translators are trying to get the essence of what the Greek says and then put it into the language they're translating it into. So we're reading in English, and something is definitely lost here in translation, and particularly the way that we use the word sick or understand the word sick. Because what it looks like on the surface is that when we read the word sick, it's talking about a physical illness, okay? And that what James is giving is a prescription for having your physical illness healed. And there are a lot of people that read this scripture and take it to mean that because that's what it looks like on surface level. I took it this way at one time in my life, too. When I was uh, young in ministry, I didn't really understand this verse. I never really, uh, never studied it or tried to interpret it or know what's really going on with it. I just, I took it on face value, too. And there was one day in particular, I was a pastor, and our church was, uh, was having a staff meeting. Okay? We were, there were several pastors all together, ministry leaders that were all together at one time. And we got a call that there was a guy from our church who had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Now, if you've ever seen someone go through Parkinson's disease, it's a devastating illness. And so naturally, he was petrified. He was scared out of his mind. And so we found out that that was happening. And our pastor came back, who had the entire book of James memorized, word for word. He had it memorized. He could recite it. He came back, and he sat down at the table, and he quoted this passage to us. And he said, everybody load up. We're going over there. And so we all loaded up in the car. He quoted this passage, and we had some, like, olive oil in the church kitchen, and so he grabbed some of that, and we went, and we got into the car, and we drove over to this guy's house. And while we were driving over there, I was suddenly filled with, like, all of this excitement because I'd never really done this before. But I believe that the Word of God is true, and it works, and so I believe that if we went and we did this, it would work. And so we drove over there, and everybody who was going over believed that it was going to work. And we sat in a circle. We, we put a circle around the man, and his wife was in the circle as well, and he believed it was going to work, and she believed it was going to work. And our pastor took the, the oil and put it on his head, and we prayed for him. We all prayed for him that God would heal him, and we were all expecting that God was going to heal him. And guess what happened? He did not heal him. The disease continued to progress, and ultimately he died from it. And I was left in the wake of that wondering, what in the world just happened? Because I believe that Scripture is true, and I believe that Scripture works, and it didn't work. We did everything right. We believed there was no lack of faith in the room. I assure you of that. We followed all the steps. We put oil on his head. We prayed for him. We did everything the scripture said to do, and he wasn't healed. Why? I thought, that's a promise, right? Why why wasn't he healed? Now, anytime you see something in scripture and you do it, and it doesn't work, one of two things has happened. Either Scripture is wrong, or the way you understand Scripture is wrong. And I have done this enough times to realize that when I come to that crossroad, there's only one road worth taking. It's always because I misunderstand something, not because God failed me, not because he let me down. It's because I misunderstood something. And so that caused me to go back to the drawing board with the Scripture and dig in and say, what is this actually saying? 
What is James actually saying? What is God actually saying? So let's dig, let's go in in a little more depth to understand just beyond just reading it in English. All right, we got to talk about a little Greek. And this isn't just a nerd out, although I like to do that. It's not to prove that I'm smart because I'm not fluent in Greek. But I, I have the resources at my disposal to research it, as do you. <laughs> All right, this is no information that you can't go get by yourself as well. But it's important for us to understand the words that James chooses because word choice matters. All right, when he says, is anyone among you sick? It's the Greek word, astheneho. Astheneho. It is used many, many times in Scripture. It's a general word that means to be weak or feeble, to lack. It's not to lack strength, actually. It's an essence of having strength but not being able to use it or having strength and not choosing to use it, but being weak and feeble and weary. It's used throughout the Bible. Now, in... uh, In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this word is used, and almost every time that it's used there, it's used of physical sickness. But it's also used extensively by Paul in the epistles, and of the many times that Paul uses this word, only once does it mean physical sickness. Every other time that this scripture is used in the epistles, which we count James a part of, Anytime this word is used, it means spiritual sickness, weakness of faith. And then when he comes in just a moment and he says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Well, that's a different Greek word. It's the same English word in our translation, but that's a different Greek word. It's the Greek word komno, which doesn't mean physically sick. It means weak, weary, or literally to faint. So it's never used of physical sickness in Scripture. And it would be so weird if James has spent this entire letter talking to them about how to be spiritually strong and how to be spiritually faithful. He starts off the letter and he says, Consider it pure joy, my, my, my brothers, when you endure trials of many kinds because the suffering of those trials produces patience. And you need to let patience have its full work in you so that you can be complete and mature. He's been talking about spiritual growth and maturity, fighting off the world instead of getting sucked back into it, valuing the things God values instead of valuing the things the world values. He's been talking about our spiritual condition and our heart condition this entire time. It would be really weird for him all of a sudden at the very end of the letter to be like, oh, by the way, if you have the flu, here's how you get rid of it. Like that doesn't even make sense in the context of the letter. But understanding sick as weak or weary makes perfect sense because he's writing to people who are suffering the weight of persecution. And he's saying, okay, so you're weak. Okay, so the weight of this is bearing down on you. Okay, so you're scared. Okay, so there have been consequences in your life because you've made godly choices instead of worldly choices. All right, and maybe that pressure, maybe you've been suffering it well, but it's that weight is getting too heavy to bear. Or maybe that pressure has come in and it's caused you to crack and you started to sin and you started to fail and you started to step back into the world. And maybe throughout the course of this series, you found yourself in this seat where you're looking at your life and this reading what we read and James has been like a mirror reflecting back on your life and you don't like what you see. And as you see where your life is going and the trajectory it's on, you realize that you're headed in the wrong direction, you're doing the wrong things, you're valuing the wrong things, and the weight of that is really heavy to bear. What do you do when you're that kind of sick? It's soul sickness. 
And yes, sometimes soul sickness can cause physical sickness in our life or weakness or weariness. But it's not always the cause of sickness or sinness, nor does it always come with physical sickness. But it's soul sickness. What do we do when that happens? Now, to be clear, I want to be really clear about this. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal people, can't heal people, won't heal people. That's another conversation for another day and another scripture. What I'm saying is that's not what James is saying. That's all. James is not talking about physical sickness here unless it's attached to your spiritual sickness, your, phys- your soul sickness. It's just not what he's saying. And it doesn't really even make any sense if he was because he seems to be jumping back and forth between this. If, if it were physical sickness, he's jumping. It's like, it's like idea whiplash going back and forth between spiritual sickness and sin, being forgiven of sin. He's attaching those two things together. In fact, if you want to if you, if you take a physical approach to the scripture, I think you would have to believe that James is saying that your physical sickness is caused by your personal sin. That sin produces physical sickness. Like that's the, the genesis of why you're sick. And that can't be true. It can't be true because uh, James just quoted from Job. And one of the major themes of Job is that Job was afflicted with all of these things, with sickness and loss and death and everything in his life, except losing his life. And it wasn't because of his sin. That's like the theme of Job. So we know James doesn't believe that. So it has to be that James is talking about soul sickness. And coming into completeness and wholeness when we've been under the weight of everything we've talked about. How do we find restoration? How do we find redemption from the mistakes that we've made? How do we come up from under the weight of our own sin or the pressure of the trials that we're going through in our life? That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. It's bigger. He said, first thing, this is chapter one. I want to put it back up for you on the screen. Chapter one. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy. doesn't always feel like joy when we're under the weight of that or when we've made mistakes under the pressure. So how do we come up out of it? How do we find restoration? Maybe you felt the pressure and you've let it crack you. Here's what you do. You go to someone, an elder or someone else who is spiritually mature that you believe carries that weight well and you confess your weakness to them and you ask them to pray for you knowing that their prayer for you is not going to be selfish on their part but that it is genuinely caring for you. Somebody, and then he says, he says that they will anoint your head with oil. Let me explain that. First of all, it's, it's important to understand, uh, there's two Greek words for anointing someone with oil. One has to do with the ceremonial anointing they would do like for a king, right? The other was a more mundane usage of the word, which was um, uh, like Jesus used it when he said, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you're fasting, don't disfigure your face and go around grumbling about how hungry you are so everybody knows you're fasting because it's not about that. It's about you and God. So he said, go home, put oil on your head and wash your face. That's the usage of the, that's the word that James uses here. He doesn't use the kingly anointing thing. That's not what that's about. He uses the mundane use. 
which is about restoration. It's about refreshment, grooming. (laughs) I I was, uh, so he said, they'll come and they'll put oil on your head. So that's not like a, they're not anointing your head with oil like David, King David's head was anointed with oil. He's saying they're going to come and they're going to take care of you. (laughs) They're going to refresh you. They're going to restore you. It's not about them. This is about you. This is about basically picking your chin up, picking your chin up and praying for you. You've called for them. They've come to you. They're picking your chin up to restore you and say, hey, you can do this. You can keep going. You can change. Like this is a moment of of peace and restoration and fulfillment and fellowship between two people. It's an unbelievable moment. I remember um, uh, remember when we did our summer story series and people were sharing their stories and uh, Jamie West was was sharing her story and she was talking about her uh, depression. She was talking about how she was in this depression before she met her husband, Stephen, and that she just prayed Jesus. One word, she prayed Jesus. And she said it gave her the strength to get up and take a shower. And I was like, I get that. There's something about that moment of refreshing and cleaning and cleansing that just revitalizes your soul. That's what James is talking about. You call for the elders. They come. They pray for you. They restore you. They refresh you. They pick up your chin. And then you can move forward. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. So the prayer of faith will save the sick. Saving is it's a life saving. It's not eternity. It's not heaven or hell. It's not that. It's it's pulling. It's like that prayer when when you call for the elders to pray for you. That's your initiative. You have to call for that. You have to ask for that. You have to confess that. And then when they come and they pray for you, it's the convergence of your prayers, believing that God restores and forgives and builds up. It's like that that together pulls you up out of the pit. It's like you're down in the pit and you reach your hand up. And when you reach your hand up, there's someone there to grab it and to pull you out. That's what's happening here. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that James is talking about. And God's like, all right, we're good. We're straight. Let's go. Let's move forward. Yes, the weight has been on you. Yes, you feel like you failed in this, but it's okay. We're going to take one step forward. God looks at you and says, you're still my child. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. No matter how many times you failed, no matter how much doubt you've had, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. And we are walking together. So let's go. Get up out of there and let's move forward. And I think with James not pulling any punches in his letter, he's, he's throwing darts and he's hitting hearts. Why didn't mean to do that? Sorry about that. Oh, <laughs> I, almost, I almost stopped myself, but I was like, no, I'm going to do it. All right. So he's, I mean, he's pinpointing things in people's lives and maybe he's pinpointed things in your life through this series. Use it. Consider it joy. That God is going to build your patience, your endurance. And that when that has its perfect work, you will be perfect and complete. So keep going. Keep going. He says, uh, as we finish in verse 16, James says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It works. He exercises it. It works out. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's just like us. I mean, yes, he was chosen by God. Yes, he was a prophet. Yes, all of that. But he's just like us. 
in his heart. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. It gives us as an example of how powerful prayer is, the strength that it has. And I don't know what takes more strength in life than to lift a human heart. It's powerful. It's strong. And he uses the example of Elijah, and I think that there's more here than just him choosing Elijah because it was a powerful prayer. But if you look at the story of when this happened, what he's talking about, Elijah was in the midst of one of the most evil regimes that had ever existed for Israel. They were led by a man named Ahab. And Ahab, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than any other leader who had ever come before him. It was bad. And so that's when Elijah came and challenged him. And that's when Elijah prayed for the rain to stop. And the rain stopped. And after a, after a long drought, the people were suffering and they were scared. And during that time, God took Elijah off to a brook where he was, he had water at the brook and he was fed by ravens. It's a whole thing, all right? And so it's a whole story there. And then ultimately he has the opportunity to raise a, a woman's child from the dead. It's a whole thing. Eventually he goes back and they have this big showdown. This big showdown where Elijah's like, listen, you put your gods, Baal, you put your God up against my God and let's see what happens. And they build altars. And the prophets of Baal try to call down fire onto their altar. And guess what happens? Nothing. They're all just looking at an altar, right? Nothing happens. And then Elijah's like, hey, take our altar right here. Just like douse it in water. Let's just leave no doubt. There's no magic or trickery or sorcery going on here. Just douse the thing in water. And then he calls down fire and the whole thing just boom. Like, a bon- like I saw a bonfire last night when I was driving down Brigo Ferry Road. I was like, that's not even close to what happened at the altar of Elijah. All right? And all the people, when they saw that, all the people, when they saw that, their hearts came back to God. What is the story of Elijah and the drought and the all- what is it all about? It's about bringing people's hearts back into faithfulness to God. It's about strengthening them and recentering them and refocusing them. It's the same thing that God wants to do with you. And it's the same thing that God wants to do with me. And listen, I don't get the sense and I don't get the picture in Scripture that James is trying to communicate or anybody else who talks about elders in Scripture is trying to communicate that elders are on like a different level than other people or that elders are perfect or sinless or anything like that. Just people who are elders in a church have committed their life to these things. And so we're not looking at perfect people to pray for us in a perfect way. It's not like that. We're not talking about the Pope, right? This is just believers looking at someone that they believe is walking this out and confessing and saying, pray for me. And when that happens, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and it will draw you up out of the pit. But if you're in that position, you got to ask. You have to take the initiative. Nobody can read your mind or they cannot read your heart. You can hide it all day long if you want to. You can hide it your entire life if you want to. You have to ask and pray and seek restoration. And he finishes this way, verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So if any of you wanders, 
the Greek word he uses here, I just think this is cool, is where we get the word planet from. That sounds weird. But their understanding of astronomy was that the stars were fixed, but the planets were wandering stars. So you get the picture of a wandering star among the fixed ones. So if you feel like you've wandered, you feel like you're the one who's wandering, then know that you can find restoration and healing. Listen, I was just going to tell you that soul healing is far more significant than physical healing. It's far deeper. It's far more permanent. Our time here is short. But the healing that comes here lasts. He said you're going to save a soul. And if you're on the other side of this, you have the opportunity to pray for and restore and to lift someone up. You save a soul from death. And that doesn't mean, when again, this is all written to believers. This entire book is written to believers. He's not talking about eternal salvation, heaven or hell. He's not talking about saving someone from hell. But he is talking about saving someone from hell on earth. Someone comes to you and they're weak and they're weary. And you may look at them and you may feel like they're even a lost cause at some point. Like there is no hope for that person. But your willingness to restore them and value them and pray for them, to help them, and to pull them up out of that pit as much as you can. That has real, true value. You save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Covering, he's talking about securing pardon, keeping them from continuing in the way that they're going. And there are a few moments in life that are going to be more fulfilling more complete, more satisfying than when, A, you are confessing your sin to one another that you may be healed and be bold enough and humble enough to do that. Or when on the other side, someone comes and confesses to you and you have the opportunity to be loving and gracious and kind with them to restore them. Those moments in life, and I hope that you've experienced some, before today, those moments in life somehow sit deeper in our heart than others because something is happening that is truly significant. And so what I want to do today is give you an opportunity to do this. And so if you're in a position where you feel like you need prayer for restoration and healing in your heart, in your soul, where you feel like you failed or you've wandered, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment, we're going to sing another song together about the goodness of God, about our fellowship and unity, the community that we have together. Because I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel inhibited from coming because you're ashamed or you're afraid but to be bold and confident to know we're in this together. We love each other and we're helping each other. And so we're going to sing that song. And when the song is over, I'll say a couple of things, but our service will be over. But the elders for our church are going to be down here by the stage. And if you want to be prayed for because of the situation that you find yourself in today, I want to encourage you to be strong and courageous 
to let patience have its work in you so you can be complete and mature. And after we're done with that song, to come down, find one of those elders, and to tell them what's going on. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to criticize you. They're not going to talk about it with anyone else. It's between you and them. Confess to them, and they will pray with you. And that'll be the start. That'll be you reaching your hand up out of the pit and them reaching down into it to take it. You begin coming up out of that pit so that you can be healed. All right. So use the time as we're singing the song to prepare yourself, to build the confidence to do that, to pray and to ask God to show you where you may need to confess. All right, let's pray to him. Father, we come to you right now and recognize your love for us, never displayed more clearly than on the cross. When you sent your son here to earth, Jesus Christ, you came here, humbled yourself, and died in our place on the cross. And we can be forgiven, we can become your child simply by believing, putting our faith in you for salvation, to recognize that you did that for us and that we need it. Ask forgiveness of our sin, knowing that you forgive us. And we know we can trust you and have confidence in you because we saw the resurrection, because we know that you were raised back to life. And so, Father, right now I ask that you move in our hearts. For those who have never made the decision to put their faith in you, they do it right now. Ask you for forgiveness. For those of us that have made that decision maybe years and years ago, we continue to walk, sometimes walking confidently, sometimes stumbling, but we know that there's always grace. And so we ask you right now, God, to show us where, where we may have failed, where the weight has been too much, where we're weak, where we're weary, where we're beaten down. where we need healing, real healing, heart healing, soul healing, spiritual healing. Right now, God, give us confidence and boldness. Any fear, remove it. The confidence to speak up and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what I've done. This is what I've thought. This is where I'm weak. This is where I need help. And then in the power of that confession, and where it meets grace and love, that that prayer would bring healing. We are your children. You love us, we love each other, we're in it together. So draw us into closer fellowship with each other now, draw us into closer fellowship with you, so that we can let patience have its work so that we can become mature. We're dedicating this time to you now, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.